of the year. I like that. Thanks, Pastor Jeannie. <laughs> Our first series of the year is entitled Worthy. Worthy. The Lord put this on my heart uh, several weeks ago. Um, and I wanted, I had one idea, and the Lord kind of had, definitely had a different idea. And so what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks is how we need to recognize that we as individuals, our self-image, our self-care, our self-esteem is important to God. He is worthy, absolutely. But there are some parts of us that we have extreme insecurities about. There are certain parts of us that we were insecure about, then we just accepted them, and now we just live with them. And now we're figuring out how to use our faith and God's grace to deal with the things that we've accepted that we really should have been dealing with. But I got news for you today that you are worthy of that correction. You are worthy of that fix. You are worthy of that turnaround. We often say things like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, sometimes it's broke and we glue it together and pretend like it's fixed. Guess what it is? It's still broke. <laughs> you just found a way to hold it together. Amen. So what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks is what does it look like and how do we wrestle with feeling like we're worthy of what God wants to do and is able to do in our lives? Because sometimes we don't even raise up the things to God because we're trying to just accept them how they are. That don't really make sense if you really think about it. No, no, he wants us to give him the things, but then we have to challenge, what is it about us that makes us just say, you know what, this is just what it is and I'm just going to live with this. And then we pray that God helps us just live with it. Something's, something's off there. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at several situations in the Bible where we see this occur. So this week, our sermon title is Enough is Enough. Enough is Enough. Just jot that down. Take a picture of it. I don't want you to forget it. What's our sermon title today? Enough is Enough. Over there in the corner. What's the sermon title? Yes, my man. Enough is enough. Walk with me through the book of 1 Samuel, the first chapter, starting at verse number 4. And it reads, On the days Alcana presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of his meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice per portion, because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah 
as they went into the tabernacle. And each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears, and she would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. That's her husband. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. I don't know what's so funny. You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. She said, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound. He thought that she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw your wine, throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir. No, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think that I'm wicked. Don't think that I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request that you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again. And she was no longer sad. This is the reading of God's word. Now, there are some things that I want to make sure that we understand about this situation. First and foremost, in these days, It was a woman's primary purpose and responsibility to have children. That was the thing. That was it. I know I said that and everybody said, and no, 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 no. The primary responsibility and what was deemed more important than anything else was that the woman would have children. She was... It was her job to carry the life and labor and birth and proceed to take care of the child until the child was old enough to work, especially the boys. Raise the kid, get them prepared so that they can go out to work. And how prepared the kid was once they were sent out to work was a reflection of the woman. She provided what was needed and then sent them out to their father to work and bring value and honor to the family. Whatever the family business was, those boys were part of this success. And the more of them there were, the merrier. This was the responsibility. This was what was most important for the woman to do. 
So it was a big deal for a woman to have children. It was a big deal, not just for her own self and her own vibe, but her, her responsibility, her job, her value, her worth, and what she was contributing to the family and the economy of the town in which she lived. Very important task. So if, you're, if she's not able to do this, you can only imagine how down she must have been. There's also this thing that is shifting in culture at this time. And the odd thing is, even in today's society, it's starting to shift again. And there's this, this word that starts with a P. It means like one to many. So glad I got y'all attention. What is it? What are you talking about? Polygamy. Many people ask the question, and there are even religions right now that base, there's polygamy in the Bible. That's why we do it. That's why it's there. There's this thing that's shifting around this time of Hannah where all of a sudden there is one man and many women. And this is, this is contrary Remember, I've been telling you, we closed the year. I've been really leaning on you to understand what God's intention was. And anything outside of that, you have to question where it came from. So just because it's in the Bible, you read about it in the Bible, don't mean that's the thing that you're supposed to follow. I'm going to help you today whether you get it or not. But what is happening and the shift that is happening in culture, because this is what we do as humans, we see a problem and then we solve the problem. So here is what's ultimately starting to happen. I told you what the role of the woman was, was to produce offspring and to help the man. Everybody wants the economy to be booming. It's 2024. It's an election year. There's a whole bunch of people that want the economy to get back, right? Well, in those days, what was important was the economy. And I just told you, the more children you have, the more men there are to work, the bigger the families are, the more booming business is because there's more people to work in the family business. So having more wives would equate to more children, would equate to more workers, would equate to a better economy. Why y'all ain't clapping? Look, y'all don't know if you're supposed to clap or not, do you? But because everybody's focus at the time began, let's, let's focus on economy and wealth and not to mention, I'm a man, I got 20 kids. Something is shifted, it's real twisted, because look at society now, it's, it got all messed up, even from that bit of distortion. We celebrate how many women we got, and then don't take care of our kids. You see how one thing can lead to, I told you I'm going to help you whether you accept it or not. But this is what's happening in this time, and all of a sudden, everybody's focused on the economy and how big the family is, and it brought, it brought, it brought valor and, and, and strength to look at me. My bloodline continues to go on. Look how big my family, look at these strapping boys I got working in the family business. Not to mention, everybody wants to be big and bad. It was a whole bunch of young people dying in battle, and in war. Ooh, polygamy helps that too. Because the women, the women 
who won't have enough good men around because all the good men going to die early in war. Let's make it acceptable that one man can have many women because God forbid, let's not forget the woman's role is to have babies. How could we strip her of that? So we give her another man who got a woman. I'm just trying to help you with some of these historical facts. How do we get here? This is what's happening in these days. So here it is. The economy has shifted. The world is changing. Unhappiness is setting in because this woman whose job it is to bear children cannot have children. Everybody looking at her like, what's wrong with you? The family business, she's contributing nothing. This is a very serious problem. She's unhappy. She's not getting any younger. But her husband loves her. Her husband loves her, but he don't really need her because he got this other chick, other lady. And the other lady, oh, she having babies. Nice looking babies. Probably dressing them up in matching babies' first Christmas outfits. And everybody in the village is so excited. Oh, look at your baby. And now she got to sit here and, and feel like she's not worthy and she's not capable and she has no purpose and, and her husband is there, but he got another woman that's popping out babies and doing all these things and, and, and he's coming home and he's giving her, at least he's giving her something from the return on what the work is being done. Not as much as the lady with the children, but she getting something. Everybody oohing and aahing about the baby. They looking at her like, What's wrong? This inability to do her. She got one job and can't get it done. I don't know about you. I've had my days where I look in the mirror. I'm like, man, you had one job. And you ain't did nothing all day. One goal. You couldn't put one checkbox, one, you ain't checked nothing up. One job she has to do, can't do it. Could you imagine how worthless Hannah might feel? See, I had to give you this background because you need to understand when you're in that place and everything just keeps stacking up. It just keeps, I already feel low, and then life just keep piling stuff on top of me. Piling stuff on top of me. Not to mention, this other chick with the babies keep making fun of me every year I go by without having more. Oh, you still not pregnant yet? You know how that kind of like that, that, that clock that ticks in our life, where we say, well, by the time I'm 18, this is going to happen. By the time I'm 21, this is going to happen. By the time I'm 24, this is going to happen. By the time I'm 28, this is going to happen. And you keep going on and on and on and on. And there's always somebody that says, oh, I'm sorry. You're not married yet? When, when are you going to? Really? Oh, you, you haven't started your job yet? You haven't graduated yet? 
just going to keep piling on as if you don't know. So here she is. It keeps piling up, piling up, piling up. And I'm sitting here and I'm wondering, man, I've been in that place where everybody else got something going on. And I'm, and I'm struggling because I keep recognizing what everybody else has going on. And I'm not understanding that my story is my story. God's goals for me and my timeline have nothing to do with anybody else. My deliverance may come at a different time. It may be a different season. He knows what he's doing, but I'm stuck under the biggest struggle. One of the biggest struggles that people face is their sense of their own self-worth. Because, because we don't, we're sitting here comparing what everybody else got going on. I got to tell you today, a failure is not defined by somebody else's experience. You need to know this today. You need to be reminded of this today. Failure is not, it is not, 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 not defined by somebody else's experience. So what they did it in 30 days? Is that your benchmark? So what they had that by 24? Is that yours? Because you don't know what the price of getting that had to be for them. You don't know what that means for them, what they sacrificed for that, what they went through for that. You have no idea. And quite honestly, you might not want what they had to get through, what they had to bear to deal with theirs. Hannah is sitting here looking. Everybody got an idea about what her life is supposed to be like. Her barrenness is a social embarrassment. People looking at her, and she got no baby. Never. No, never had no spit-up stains on her little garments. Don't got no diaper bag to carry. Don't got no baby room in the house. Nothing. But here she is, embarrassed socially. It's an economic embarrassment because, as I told you, the bigger the family, that said a lot about who you were, the more people to marry her. Business must be good. Look at all them kids they got. Things is happening in that family. The other woman steady popping out the babies, bringing in the big bucks. But you know, I find it very interesting. One, because I'm a husband and I've made this mistake many, many times. In the midst of her anguish, in the midst of her frustration, oh, he does what a lot of you men have done. Yes, y'all, y'all did this. And, and, he, and, and the husband says, but, but don't worry. I love you. Don't worry about what everybody else is talking about. Don't worry about what nobody got to say. What nobody else thinking about. Don't worry about nobody else's expectation. All that should matter to you is I love you, girl. <laughs> and he says this, 
And I could only imagine. He thinks this is genius. He thinks this is going to fix it. And she looked right at him. And she thinking to herself, what love got to do with it? These folks laughing at me this morning, and all you got to offer is love? But this is what her husband says. This is what her husband says, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm laughing about this because you, the reason I tell you all to read the Bible is because if you read it, and you read it with the intention of learning something, of the Lord revealing things to you, you will see yourself in these things. I'm telling you, you will. So when you think now, I don't understand the Bible and I don't know how to read it, I'm going to teach you how to read it. That's going to be another series that we do here shortly. But I need you to understand that when you do that, you begin to, it like comes alive in a way. It's like, oh, wait a second. And so here, here, here he go, talking about all his love and how it don't matter that she can't have kids. And, and this is crazy because in these days, I told you how the society was set up. If a woman whose purpose was to have kids couldn't have kids, it was actually grounds for divorce and separation. Because it's like, well, what do I need you for? I'm supposed to do this thing. You're supposed to be giving me the children to do the thing, and you can't. I don't. It was actually gave them room. So here he go, talking about his love, and how he not going to throw her away, and how he's just fine and happy with the things that she's doing. And he's saying the things that I know that I've said. Wait, don't take it personal. There's something wrong with them for treating you like that. There's something wrong with her for saying things like that. But what about me? Don't take it personally. But then I had to ask myself this question. How can somebody tell you not to take it personally? How can somebody tell you that something is not a big deal? Or to tell you to relax, or to tell you it's gonna be in, it's gonna be okay. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go through it. How can somebody truly tell you that it's not personal? Of course it's personal. Of course it's personal because what I'm going through is a reflection of me. Forget what you're talking about. It's not, it is personal because every time somebody says something, and even when they're not saying something, I think they're saying something, this lady rubbing it in my face, the business ain't booming, we ain't got nothing to show for it, and here I am feeling like this unworthy person, and you telling me don't take it personal. Wow. Here we are. Of course, this is personal. The high priest, this person that's respected, sitting in the tabernacle. You think it was bad everybody else asking her questions. She's such a mess, talking to herself and whatnot. He thinks she's drunk. So not only, think about this, not only is what's happening in my house ain't working right, now I got this other woman making fun of me. The village is making fun of me. The people are laughing. Business ain't working right. And when I go into the tabernacle to pray to God, the man of God is looking at me like, ooh, she is a wreck. 
Man, take it personally. When you are going through something, you got to take it personally. And you got to take it so personally that you realize that the solution is between you and God. You got to learn to take it. No, 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 no. I know you, you want everybody else to feel you, but I'm telling you, you got to take it so personally, you got to put this up and deal with this with you and God. That's how personal it is. Because everywhere else that you turn, you have to understand everybody else, even the people who love you most, care for you most, ain't got nothing to say, ain't going to say the right thing. They're going to get it wrong because the way to fix the solution is God's. How do I know that? How do I know that? The Bible records in 1 Samuel, we just read it, in the 10th verse, I'm going to paraphrase it, that Hannah, Hannah was such in deep anguish. She was crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. As she went praying to the Lord, her lips was moving, and, and, and there was nothing to hear. There was no sound coming out. I don't know if you've ever been in a place of such anger, frustration, and bitterness. of such anguish that things suck so bad you will look like an insane nutcase. Broken, confused, irritated. You can't even, like there's so many adjectives I want to use and some of them y'all will kick me off the platform if I said it. Because what I'm dealing with right now, it sucks when I'm by myself, but it's even worse when everybody else is treating me like a pariah, and they looking at me funny, and they talking about me, and I feel crazy, I look crazy, and the man of God called me crazy, and I'm still sitting here. So broken. I'm so frustrated. I had enough. God, enough is enough. Here is Hannah. Here is Hannah. At her place, she's had enough. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. Enough is enough. Oh. Oh, but can I? Can I give you some hope today? Oh, can I give you some hope today? In the midst of that anguish and in the midst of hitting her limits, the light bulb goes off. And the man of God, Eli, he does something after she explains that she had not been drinking. And she carries on praying and having this fit and not saying anything, just fighting aggressively with herself. It says bitterly. That's intense. That's extreme. That's forceful prayer. A prayer that sounds like a fight. And in the midst of that she's explaining her anguish and going through all of this, Eli has this moment of clarity. And he says, oh, wait, if that's the case, and you bringing that anguish to God, 
May the Lord grant you the request that you've made. In other words, he's trying to remind her that the promises of God is still a promise. A promise is still a promise. See, Hannah knew this already, but life was hitting her so hard that it was hard for her to connect to the promises of God because she was in such despair. Many of us are in such despair about things or such avoidance of things, we are forgetting that God has made us promises that we can lean on. But Hannah knew this. It was just hard for her to lean into them. So she was so discouraged and filled with sorrow. The Bible says that she became physically sick and unable to eat. She was dealing with this so much. She did, this is the equivalent to what we have called when we see now she was in a deep depression. She, she just... She just she just was a mess. She couldn't do anything. But, but Eli gives her this word and helps her to remember, well, wait a minute. If you are bringing your petition to God, then he will grant the petition that you've made because you've come to him in your rawest form. You're coming to him with what you really need. And he said he will be there with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He wants us to bring the things that we are anchored down, pulled down by, and hand them over to him so he can lighten our load. The word says that eventually hearing that, she gave it all up and she was able to return home well and with happiness. But there are three things that, that Hannah's turnaround can be attributed to. The first thing is, the first thing is, is that she honestly prayed to God. No, I'm not talking about, well, God, I know if you could... I know if anybody can do it, you can do it. No, 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 no. I just threw a hissy fit up here to help you illustrate what she was dealing with, what she was going through. She wasn't worried about the person sitting next to her. She wasn't worried about the person in the other room, nobody in her house, nobody in her church. She had to work this thing out with God. She fighting herself. She got to have that fight with God because she had enough. And so she began to fight honestly, and when she prayed to God, she prayed from that place of anger, from that place of despair, from that place of bitterness. That's what she used. That's what she was fighting, but she brought it honestly to God. The second thing is she was encouraged by Eli and what to expect from God. See, a lot of times, even when we're trying to help people in despair, I know I'm super guilty of it. I call myself helping. I call myself helping. You ain't saying nothing because you think you're helping too. You think you're helping, but ultimately the redirection is, look, I'm going to do what I can. But the best thing I can do, Eli, he hit it right on. Well, in that case, you got these things that you have shared. I may not know. I may not get it. I may not understand it. But if you, you know what, I will stand in prayer with you. Because if you're bringing it to the Lord and this is what you're fighting with, then you have somebody with you that's going to meet you right at that point of prayer while you give it to God. And I'm going to expect for you what you could expect from God. That's different. That's a different, that's a, we say it all the time, oh, really? That's a mess. We pray for you. No, don't do me like that. Don't tell, don't wave me pray. Don't, don't wave, me, wave and pray at me. Oh, I'll pray for you. If you ain't praying for me, stop telling me that. I need to know. You gonna pray for me? Pray for me for real. 
Pray for me that God will have his way and work out the mess that I'm telling you I'm in. Pray that. You don't know what to pray. You don't know the details. Or you ain't, all you got to know is that I need God to do something. And I need you to believe that God can do it because right now I'm having a hard time believing. I can't hardly talk to God myself. I need you to stand in the gap for me to go to the Lord in prayer expecting that he's going to do a thing because I can't barely even muster up the words to talk to God. I'm so mad. So she honestly prayed to God. She was encouraged by the man of God to of what she could expect from God. And then here is the kicker. She left the problem with God. She left the problem with God. I would venture to say this is probably one of the hardest things to do. To leave it with God. Like really leave it with God. Like when you leave something somewhere, it's there and you somewhere else. How do we leave it with God? Maybe that's how you pray for somebody else. Oh, they are going through right now in the name of Jesus. You have the answer to what they need, Lord. I believe that you can deliver in this instance of need. Help my friend, help my partner, help my sibling, help my coworker to let you work. Help them to leave it with you, Lord that they can move forward and have an afternoon that doesn't have angst because they are trusting you. Help them where they need more trust, more faith, more patience to let you do your thing. That's how we can pray for one another, that we're not all in the mix of all of their stuff, that it's not about all of, no, 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 I am expecting God to do something. He will do it, he can do it, and Lord, help my loved one, help this stranger, let you work. And get to know you closer in the process. Leave it. Leave it with God. So then this is what God does in return. God was able to show Hannah that enough is enough. That enough is always enough. In return, he was able to show her that she was enough and was worthy of a child. It was just in his timing. He was able to show her that enough was enough, that he was enough, that her faith in him was all she really needed to get through until the time of her childbearing. He was able to show her when she was fed up and her enough was enough that when we are fed up, like Hannah was, that he is enough and he is worthy and you are worthy. He works on your behalf because you matter to him. And enough is enough. It don't stop there. But when you fed up, you got to give it to him because once you got enough, he's enough to deal with that situation. So I tell you today, before we take our first communion of the year, you're in this room right now, you need to know. That the thing that is pushing you to your limits, I mean really pushing you to your limits. Thank you.
Maybe you don't know what being pushed to your limits are. Let me help you real quick. The thing has started to spill outside of just your mind. And it's starting to have a physical reaction on you. Not only is that thing starting to have a physical reaction on you, but that physical reaction is starting to impact other people around you. And the other people around you don't know how to help. And so then distance becomes and starts to be created between you and the other people around you because of what's impacting you that has gone outside of the inside of you. That is when you've hit your limit. Because all that you can take in is now pouring out. It is bubbling over. It's kind of like a pot that is once the pot gets boiling over, now there's a danger because wherever that hot water goes, a volcano goes, where that lava goes, everything in the pathway of the lava is in danger. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you're in this room and you're thinking, oh, I, maybe I'm not at my limit, uh, let me help you recognize if you've already hit your limit. Because the lava is flowing out of your top, down your sides, and it's taking out everything on the street. Hannah had that moment, y'all. And God simply said, look, enough is enough. And now that you've hit that place, thank you for bringing it to me. And the word of God says that she was able, somehow, some miraculous way, all of a sudden her appetite came back. All of a sudden, there was different perspective. All of a sudden, she could rest again. All of a sudden, things that almost were absent in her life began to show up. So, as you prepare to take your communion today, I just want to remind you that enough is enough. It's not his intention for you to just walk with it, to just carry it. You're doing a, yourself a disservice. You're doing everything around you a disservice. Starting to impact others. But that ain't why you need to fix it. That ain't why, you know, you need to fix it because God wants to take that from you. You don't need to know how he's going to take it from you. You just need to trust him enough to let him take it. So as you stand, I just invite you all to come up front and grab your communion. There's one here, there's one there, and there's one on the side. But as you do so and you take your communion back, I want you to recommend, I want to remind you of what this represents. It represents the New Testament solution for exactly what we're talking about. He knew that we would have moments like this. He knew that we would have, and he gave us a Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave of his body, who gave of his blood, who laid his life down to bear his